So Luke chapter 2. And actually your reference on there, is that the old one? Yeah, that's why I've got the wrong bulletin. That's last week's bulletin. I was like, that's not the right scripture, guys. You're in the wrong place. It's because I've got the wrong bulletin. So we're looking at verses 15 through 20 in chapter 2. So Luke writes this. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made uh, made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at it, at these things, which were told to them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as it had been told to them. Let's go to the Lord in prayer one more time. Father God, again, we thank you for this time. Thank you for an opportunity to join together as brothers and sisters in Christ. God, what we ask at this time is that you would, through the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would work in us, that as we read this text that is before us, that you would open our eyes to it, um, that we would read it uh, and understand it rightly, um, that you would use it and apply it to our lives and hearts as we um, look at this idea tonight of, of how we should respond uh, to your revelation. Um, God, we know that without your Holy Spirit, we can do nothing, um, that, that it is the Holy Spirit um, working in our lives, um, that uh, he is the one who is, is um, revealing truth to us, that helping us to know it rightly and apply it. Uh, so, um, Father, we pray that the Holy Spirit would do that, that it would work through this text, um, and that we would be edified by it. Uh, Father, we love you, we praise you, we thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so, so a couple things. First off, um, so I mentioned already that it's, it's 12th night, and um, that means Christmas ends tonight, um, the Christmas season ends tonight, and then tomorrow is, is Epiphany, um, which is the, the, the day in the church calendar that remembers the coming of the Magi, coming of the wise men. And it's basically bigger than that in that it, it represents the coming of revel, the revelation of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, right? Not just to the Jewish people, but to the Gentiles. And so the Magi are sort of the, the first representatives of those people. And, and you guys already know this by coming here for just a little while, right? I like the church calendar. Okay, but there's there's a reason why I like the church calendar, and it's the same reason that I like to have uh, our, our service uh, is is sort of organized in a certain way. And this is this is the reality, and I kind of plug this every once in a while just so you kind of know where I'm coming from. Okay, so so the order of the service that's part of what we call litur- uh, liturgy, right? And so we talk also about having a liturgical calendar of the year in which you're celebrating certain kind of seasons of the year and holidays and, and things like that. And some people will say, well, why, why do you think that's important? Why, why are you doing that? Okay. And, and my answer to them is this, is that everybody has a liturgy already. Okay. Every service has a liturgy and every person's life and calendar for the year has a liturgy. Every single person in the world does this. It's just that most people aren't thinking about it. But you have things that, that organize your service. So for example, when you look at Pleasant Grove Mother Church's service, 
A lot of people would look at it and say, well, it doesn't have a liturgy. And the answer is wrong. It does have a liturgy. It has a very specific liturgy. In fact, every single week it looks, it has a certain format to it, right? It may not look high church, right? It may not look like the way churches throughout certain places in history have looked, but it certainly has a liturgy. It has a pattern to it that is the same all the time, right? Um, The same thing is true of your yearly calendar, okay? You live your life by a calendar, even if you may not notice it, okay? And most of us live our lives by calendars that are things that are not of God necessarily, okay? And so, for example, if your kids are in public school, you live your life by a public school liturgy, functionally, right? You have seasons of the year, right? You start back to school in the fall. You have a fall break. You have go back to school. You have a Christmas break. You go back to school. You have a spring break. You go back to school, and then you have a summer break, right? You live your life in accordance with the ebbs and flows of public school, okay? And that goes for college and stuff like that, too. Many of us have uh, lives that are focused on something like secular holidays, right? We go from Memorial Day to Fourth of July to um, to Labor Day to Halloween to then Christmas or whatever, New Year's. We sort of go and we mark these occasions in the year. We kind of plan our lives and our vacations and our family get together around these things, right? That's a, that's a liturgical calendar, except the difference is, is that none of those things particularly have anything to do with God, right? And so, like, I like the idea of saying, let's just intentionally plan our calendar around God. Let's just intentionally think about the things of God as we move throughout the year. And again, do you have to do it these ways? You don't. There's not a biblical mandate to do these things these ways, but it's a way for us to be intentional, to think about our year and our days and our and our and the, and, and the ebbs and flows of our life through these things, okay? Um, and so, the, again, the truth is, is it's not that you don't have a liturgy or that you don't follow a calendar. It's just that maybe you are not thinking about those things. Or maybe they are formed by forces that aren't what would be best. Um, they're not formed by the things of God. They're formed by the natural kind of flow of the secular world or whatever. So that's kind of the reason why we do this stuff. And it's the reason why I think it's neat and important. And, and I like um, thinking about my year in those ways. We don't do everything that we could do. You know, we don't celebrate it in all the ways that maybe people have throughout history. But it's something that, that our household can be intentional about. And so we come to today... The end of Christmas tide, they call it, the beginning of Epiphany tide, but also we recognize that we have, in terms of a secular year, we have come to the beginning of the new year, right? So we just celebrated, it's the 5th, just a few days ago we celebrated New Year's, and so that brings into mind New Year's resolutions, right? You come to New Year's and all of a sudden people are thinking and talking, you're seeing things about New Year's resolutions. So I read a little survey online and it said somewhere between 40 and 45% of people, um, adults, commit to doing some kind of New Year's resolution, right? Something around 40 or 45%. Most of them are typical things you would think of. Weight loss, exercise more, quit smoking, manage my money better, things like that, right? The interesting thing is is that by the second week of January, about 25% of those people have already bailed on their their, uh, resolution, right? It's already out the window. And then I I know from personal experience, probably by the beginning of February, another 50% is out the window, right? Like a lot of times we don't keep those things up. I was talking to somebody, I was talking to David Wethington, we had lunch this week, and we were talking about New Year's resolutions, and, and a lot of people think New Year's resolutions are dumb, right? You're just like, man, it's a dumb thing, I don't do that, it's not something I'm interested in, in thinking about. But, but here's what I want to suggest to you, is that the idea 
of at the new year reassessing, um, being stirred from your 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 lethargicness or your or your laziness or whatever. Those are biblical concepts. Okay, so we've talked about Jewish New Year uh, Rosh Hashanah before that takes place in September. But there's, remember, the trumpet blowing, right? And so we have that trumpet here, the shofar here. And there's this whole ceremony that happens at, at, at Jewish New Year where you blow this trumpet. And it's, an, it's a picture of saying, hey, wake up, guys. Um, you need to wake up because it's a new year and you need to be about the things of God. In fact, specifically in the Jewish context, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, is just 10 days after the new year, right? So it's like saying, God's coming, um, judgment is coming even. You've got to be ready. You've got to wake up. Whatever you've been lazy about, you need to get moving in these things. And so that idea of a New Year's resolution to kind of move forward and grow in certain ways, I think is a, a biblical idea, even if it's not specifically um, delineated in Scripture. Um, but I want to I suggest to you something, something probably for most many believers, is that when we come to the new year, a lot of Christians will make a resolution that has something to do with committing to read the Word of God on a regular basis, right? So at the beginning of the year, a lot of people start like Bible reading plans. They start saying, man, I'm going to read through the Old Testament or the New Testament, or I'm going to read every day of the week, or I'm going to do something and have, have a quiet time. And you start thinking in, in those kind of terms. Um, I'll be honest with you. I think every single person in this room should make that resolution, okay? That should be something that all of us commit to, to reading our Bible every single day. Um, or at least you could say, man, on a just about every other, I mean, every day kind of basis, right? A regular kind of basis. Um, I think it is the single most beneficial thing you can do for your spiritual life. Okay, it is definitely the most foundational thing. It may be coming to gathered worship, coming to corporate worship would be on par with it. But other than that, there is not much else you could do that would be as foundational for your faith as being in the word of God on a regular basis. Okay, period. So I would encourage everybody to do that. Um, So. As we talk about that idea, right, as we talk about this idea of of meeting with God on a daily basis, letting God speak to us through his word on on a daily basis, I want to tie in an idea that we're seeing in this passage in Luke, okay? And that is this idea, that in this passage we see the angels come and they reveal God's truth to the shepherds, right? And then the shepherds respond to it in a certain way. You could say the same thing is true if we were to skip over to the book of Matthew when we see God in in through through the 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 star of Bethlehem and stuff reveal something to the Magi and then the Magi end up heading um, to see the the Christ child right um, in both cases God is revealing something and then you see people respond to it in a certain way um, and I think that's what. Uh, how we're going to apply this passage today is, as we kind of go into the new year and we think about these things is um, when God speaks, for us particularly through his word, but when he speaks, how are we to respond to that? How are we to respond to that kind of thing? I think we do it the same way that the shepherds did. So look there in verse 15 again. So Luke starts out saying this. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby 
lying in a manger. So, make this as your first idea. When the revelation of God comes to you, right, we are to make haste to engage with it. Okay? When God reveals something to us, we are to make haste. That is, hurry up. That is not dilly-dally. Uh, about the thing that God is telling us to do, right? When we have an encounter with God, it's not something that we put off. We don't sit there and kind of go, cool, well, that's that's something to think about in the future. And, and we notice this over and over again in these passages, right? So, for example, when Mary heard the revelation of God about her own pregnancy and the pregnancies of, of Elizabeth, you know, the Bible says it says she made haste, right, and went immediately to investigate it, to go see Elizabeth and see if what the angel said um, was confirmed, right? And so she didn't just sit back and say, well, I'm just going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to sit on this thing, and God has said this thing, but we'll see what happens kind of deal. She said, no, I'm going to go, and I'm going to act on this thing, right? Um, the same thing is true uh, with the, in, in Matthew chapter 2 with the Magi. So it says in Matthew chapter 2 that now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, we, uh, Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and has, have come to worship him. Okay, So we don't know for sure exactly how that whole thing with the Magi worked out. All we know is that they saw this star and that that made them think that they should go to Jerusalem to see Jesus. But probably this is the case. The Bible says that they were from the east, okay? So they were probably from Babylon, okay? And so if they were from a school of wisdom that had grown up for centuries in that region, then it is almost certain that they would be familiar with a dude named Daniel, all right? And the book of Daniel in the scripture is one of the prime places that we go to for a prophetic timeline of the coming of the Messiah. And so you can imagine a scenario in which there's all these wise men sitting around going, Daniel was one of the wisest men ever in the history of Babylon, right? He was an advisor for um, multiple kings over the course of about 80 or 90 years, all right? And, and he gave these prophecies about the coming of a Messiah king for Israel. And then when that timetable starts getting close, all of a sudden they notice Strange things going on in the heavens, whatever the, the star of Bethlehem was, and there's different theories on that, right? Um, but then they, what do they do? They don't say, you know, this is really interesting. It's cool that this prophecy says it's now, and it's cool that there's a star in the thing, but you know what? We're just going to hang out and see what happens, right? Maybe one day when things slow down a bit, maybe one day when my kids are grown, maybe one day when we retire, we'll get over to Jerusalem, and we'll see if that whole thing about Jesus was true, okay? That's not what happens. When the prophecy comes to fulfillment and they see a sign of it, which is God's revelation to them, what do they do? They say, we got to go, guys. we got to get on camels and we got to head to Jerusalem right now. We've got to move on this. We have to make haste, okay? Encounters with God are not just something that we make time for. They are something that we make haste for. Does that make sense, right? We don't just make time for God. We make haste for God, right? It is something that we run after, that we that we don't even just say, I'm going to try to carve him out of place. It's like, no, this is supposed to be a priority for us. If God was going to show up somewhere tomorrow, like if I said, hey, everybody, God's going to be at Starbucks, uh, you know, on Alcoa Highway at 10 a.m. He's going to be there. You would show up, right? You would go, man, I'm going to go see God tomorrow, right? Um, th the reality is this. 
he is going to show up tomorrow. He's going to show up at dining room tables and in studies um, and people sitting up in bed and people on their knees um, before they go to bed. He's going to show up in all kinds of places, all right? But we don't make haste towards that, right? We act as if those are boring, common things that aren't really, um, nothing's going to happen, right? And yet the truth is, is that that is where God meets us. And that is where God reveals himself to us, and we should make haste to get to those places, to make that time and to exert that effort. And so what I would say to you is this, man, do something about it. Do something about this idea of coming to the Lord and meeting him in his word on a regular basis this year. And I would encourage you in to think in this way, okay, because people do it in different ways. Usually when people think about their Bible reading, um, they think in terms of two words. They think in t- terms of quantity or quality. So they're either like, dude, man, I'm going to knock this thing out, right? I'm going to read the whole Bible three times this year, and I'm just going to be reading like ten chapters a day, and I'm going to knock this thing out. Just quantity, right? And then other people are like, no, I'm going to focus on like two words a day, right? I'm just going to dig into those two words. Man, I'm going to know everything about those two words, okay? What I would encourage you is this. Don't worry about quantity or quality. Those shouldn't be the things that you're focusing on. What I want you to focus on is consistency, okay? Like, I don't want you to like one day a month go, I'm going to read a whole book of the Bible, and I also don't want you going, no, I don't, want to, I don't want to do too much, so I'm just going to keep on zooming in, zooming in, zooming in. I just want you to think and say, man, I'm going to try to be in the Word every day. I'm going to try to have a time where I meet with God every single day because I trust that God is going to meet me there. He's going to talk to me. He's going to reveal things to me. I'm going to make haste to meet him in that place every morning. And so shoot for a time every day. That's, that's the goal. Um, if you want to do a large section, cool. If you want to zoom in and do a short section, cool. You do whatever you want to. Um, if you want to use helps, if you want to use devotionals, if you want to use a study, whatever, that's fine. But shoot for consistency. But whatever you do, hurry. Okay? Make haste. Don't look up and it be July and go, man, I really started meant to start reading my Bible this year and I just hadn't, hadn't really done it. Don't do that, right? Start tomorrow. Start tonight. And start doing those things. Because when we do that, when we encounter God in his word, he teaches us things, right? And when he teaches us things, and this is the second way that we we respond to Revelation, he intends for us to share those things with those around us. So notice the wording in this passage. It says, verse 17, it says, when they saw it, they made known. Okay, so this is the, the shepherds. They've come to Bethlehem. They've looked around. They've found the right house. They've seen Jesus lying in the manger. They're like, cool, this is the house. This is the one that the angels told us about. And then verse 17. And when they saw it, the manger, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Okay? So think about a couple things real quick. First off, notice what it says. It says, they made it known to all who were there. You remember last week when we talked about that Jesus probably wasn't born, like, sitting out in, in a cold cave somewhere with nobody around except Mary and Joseph, like it was just the two of them, whatever. That's probably not what it looked like. There were probably other people around, probably a family. They were probably in a house. They were probably on the bottom floor of a house near where the animals are stored, but there were other people there. This, this passage actually kind of confirms that. Because it says, all who heard it. 
Okay? If they're just talking about Mary and Joseph, they're the only two people, that seems like a weird way of saying that. They probably would have just said, and when Mary and Joseph heard this, they thought it was crazy or whatever, right? Um, but it says, all who heard it wondered at what they were saying. That means this, is that the shepherds show up and say, we were told that Jesus was going to be here. We were told that we would come to a house and find a baby in a manger and that that main baby would be the Messiah. Okay? And then when that happens, they wonder at it, right? They're, they're amazed by it, these people who hear this thing. I've said this before, and, and I think it's one of the key things to understand about who we are as, as people made in the image of God, as humans. We are all evangelists by nature, every single one of us. We are all evangelists, okay? We are tellers. Every single one of us is a teller, all right? We like to tell people things. We like to tell people about things that have made us happy or joyful things or pleasurable things or interesting things. Um, you share it. You do it naturally. You don't even have to have anybody ask you about it. You just do it. When you see a movie, when you hear a song, when you try a restaurant, when you find out something interesting that is going on in the world, what do you hear a thousand times a day? Somebody walks up to you and go, hey, man, did you hear about what just happened? Did you hear about what happened in Syria? Did you hear about what happened at the mall? Did you hear about what happened at church? Did you hear about what happened in so-and-so's family? We do that all the time, right? We love telling people stuff that we have found out. We love telling people things that we have enjoyed or experienced or whatever. We do it all the time naturally. In fact, I would probably, if we could, like, tally it, I'll bet you it would be like 50 75% of our conversations start that way, right? Did you hear about this thing that happened? I've had... a Two dozen of those conversations since I've been at church today, probably, right? Um, that's the way we are. It's like natural to us. If you think about it, gossip is a function of that, right? Isn't gossip just a mutation of that where we go, did you hear about what so-and-so did? Did you hear about what's going on in this person's life? We want to tell people things that we know. I believe that's how we respond or at least should respond to truth as well. When we discover something meaningful... There is something in us that wants to share it with other people. And so obviously, when that happens, fears can be connected to that, right? Um, especially when it comes to religious truth. So we learn some new thing that we find in, in the Word of God, and, and we can be nervous that even though we think it's awesome or, or amazing or, or important, we're scared that somebody else might think it is weird or stupid or whatever. And so there's obviously a fear element to it. Um, but I think there's a more common issue, and I think it's an even more dangerous problem. The more common issue is that we have nothing to share because we haven't engaged God in his word. He hasn't been speaking to us on a regular basis, and we don't really have anything to say about what God has been showing us. Um, again, we're quick to share any number of joys from culture or, sadly, gossip but what is God teaching you? What is God showing you? What did he show you this day in your study of the word? I have a friend who is very intentional about asking that question. Okay? In fact, oftentimes, it's the second thing he'll ask you. He'll walk up to you and go, hey, man, how are you? And you're like, good. And he's like, what's the Lord teaching you? And you're like... Maybe you better bet in your word that day, or you're going to feel like a goofball, especially if you're a pastor, okay? Um, and that happens all the time. Um, it's convicting, right? When he says those words to you, what's, God, what's the Lord teaching you? Because there's a lot of days where I have to go, I mean, today? I nothing, I guess, because I haven't really talked to him today, right? And so I start jumping and fetching trying to think of something that I've learned over like the last six months or something about God. I'm like, oh, Luke did this, you know, whatever. And so 
it's it's convicting though, right? When I don't have an answer, it's because I haven't been in the Word, because I haven't seen or heard something from the Lord. And notice one other thing. We don't just do this for ourselves, right? We When we don't tell other people the truths that God has shown us, we are robbing from them. We are taking something that they need and, and withholding it, okay? Notice what happens in the passage. So it says, Mary hears these things, right, from the shepherds, and it says she ponders these things in her heart. That's the second time we've heard that about Mary so far in just the two chapters. Mary's pondering a lot of things in her heart. You want to know why? Because there's some crazy stuff going down in Mary's life, right, okay? There's a lot of stuff that's hard to process going down in Mary's life. And so every time somebody comes along and can confirm the truth of the things that are happening in Mary's life, Mary goes, yeah, yeah, I'm not crazy. Uh, Jesus is the Messiah. In fact, these guys heard it too. Like angels showed up to these guys, and she's pondering these things in her heart. Do you know how important that is for especially somebody like a new believer, somebody who's new to the faith, who has day in and day out influences that are garbage coming into their life all day long, right? And for them to make a decision for Christ and then to start growing in their faith, but hearing still all these influences, you're an idiot, this is stupid, Jesus isn't real, whatever, right? You know how important it is for somebody to be able to have somebody come up and say, let me tell you what God's telling me. Let me tell you what, um, how God is working in my life. And for that person to be able to say, yeah, yeah, I'm not the only one. I'm not, I'm not crazy. This is, this is real and this is happening in other people's lives. When we are not sharing what God has shown us, we are stealing from people, okay? We are taking something that they should have, and we are keeping it for ourselves, okay? And so that's the second way that we respond to truth, right? Not only do we make haste to pursue it but or, or to, 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 to respond to it, but we also have to be responsible to share it with other people, okay? And then the last thing is this. The third point is just that, that this truth, as it comes into our lives, that it would result in the praise and honor of God, right? That it would elicit out of us praise and glory to God. So in verse 20, what does it say? And the shepherds returned. That means they went home. They went back to their flocks. They went back to the fields, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. So, again, when God reveals himself to those that he chooses to reveal himself to, it should result in praise, right? It should result in glorifying his name. But I want you to notice two kind of specific aspects of this and just kind of elaborations of it. One thing is this, is that um, we need new things to praise God about. Okay? I think this is the reality. Many of us are bored in our faiths. Right? We are just bored. Um, and part of the reason why we're bored is because we are not learning anything new. We are not doing anything new. That functionally it is the same stuff that we have been practicing and thinking and living in for maybe as long as we've been Christians. It goes back to the idea of making haste again, right? That some of us aren't making haste at all. That we are just sitting and soaking in, in the stuff that we, the, the, the truth that we have already been made aware of, right? And obviously, 
the truth of God, right, many of those truths, all of those truths, the glories of God, they are the kind of things that we should continue to stew in, right? That we should ponder every truth um, forever, right? Um, we should continue to give praise to God for everything that we have learned, right? So on one level, it's like no truth is ever an old truth because it should be something that is new to us all the time. And yet at the same time, we know for a fact that that's not how our hearts work, right? We get bored and used to things very quickly. So there can be some sort of revelation of God in our lives where we go, yeah, man, I get it now. I've seen something about God that I hadn't seen before. And then after a couple of weeks, man, it just fades, and we're back to doing the same old thing and thinking the same old thing. And even if that's a new category in our head, like even if we hold on to that truth, it, the shine's worn off of it a little bit. Okay? And so what does that mean? It means this. It means we need to see new truths to continue to give God glory, but also we need to see old truths in a new light, right? We need to continue to come back to God's word and see him reveal new things to us and in the process of those new things realize that some of those truths are actually old truths we've already learned in a new light, okay? And so that's one way that this, that the revelation of God should push us to praising and glorifying God in new ways, because we're seeing new things about God. And as we see these new things, we go, man, I, I, it's amazing what he does and, and how he works and, and, and who he is and all these different things. Okay? And then one other side to that whole idea is this. Notice what the shepherds do. They not only go praising and bringing glory to God, but it says they returned. Right? They went home. Okay? They didn't just sit outside like Jesus' house and just go, man, I'm going to wait until he's like 30 or something and just hang out and watch all his ball games and, and whatever. And then, and then one day, like, he'll be full-grown Jesus. And w- That's not what they do. They take that truth, they take those things that they have learned, and they take them back into their daily lives, right? They take them back in these new truths, these new glories. Um, those things change their lives, but then they take those changed lives and they go back into their normal context. They go back to their work. They go back to their families. They go back to their jobs. We have to assume that these encounters changed these, these men forever. They were made into different people. In fact, they were made into the kind of people who God had always intended them to be. Um, intended them to be. Um, and in those revelations, what happened? They, they re- recognized something, that God loves them, even as these dirty shepherds that we talked about, right, last week. They're not, they're not people who are cut off from the love of God. Um, God knows them and loves them. They are not forgotten, and he is actually working in them and has blessed them with the honor of being the first to see um, the, 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 the Messiah's coming into the world. But see, the reality is this, man. When we cut ourselves off from those opportunities for God to reveal himself, when we cut ourselves off from, from his word especially, when we don't respond to it properly, right, with urgency, when we don't share it the way we're supposed to, when we don't let it elicit praise in us, then we undercut everything that God has for us. We basically cut off the process that he has to grow us and bless us and make us into the people that he has called us to be, right? So we have no opportunity to do those things because we have responded to the revelation of God in our lives wrongly. We haven't done what we were supposed to in responding to it. And so let me just kind of close again on on this thought about epiphany, right? So epiphany, that word, it means this holiday that we're about to go into. But the, the, the word epiphany is, is a Greek, it comes from a Greek word. And that word basically means like revelation, 
okay? But it means sort of something a little more specific than that. It's almost like a glorious appearing, right? And so it's sort of like, almost like a surprise party. Like somebody jumps out of a closet and it's like, da-da, or whatever. And you're like, oh, hey, it's him, or whatever. He's here, okay? That's the way Revelation has, okay? When we use that word in English, we're usually not talking about the biblical event of the epiphany, okay? What we usually use that word for is just generically a sudden realization of truth, right? And so people will talk about, they'll be like, man, I had an epiphany today. I realized, you know, that I need to be doing this or something like that. The, the reality is, is this, man, when we come to the word of God, that's what's going on with the way God works through the word all the time, right? You'll just be reading the word and then all of a sudden what happens? You literally have an epiphany, right? All of a sudden, through the Holy Spirit, God says, do you see this now? And all of a sudden you go, I've read this passage a thousand times in my life and I've never seen this before. How could I have never realized that? And all of a sudden it clicks, right? God is working epiphanies in our lives all the time. Um, We are all recipients of that revelation, And it takes God doing that in our lives, right? None of us are good enough that we've figured it all out. We need the Holy Spirit doing these things. We need the Holy Spirit making Jesus manifest in our lives, right? So what that means is whether you are sitting in a field, tending sheep, minding your own business, or and Jesus sort of like smacks you in the head, uh, or whether you're like a ma- the Magi, right? Men who investigated and explored and were discipled in a certain kind of knowledge until finally it all clicked and they said, we got to go. This is the time. It's all come together now. We've got to make a move. Um, whether you are sitting at your dining room table doing your Bible study in the morning, whether you're sitting with brothers and sisters in Christ studying the Word of God and praying over it together, we are all recipients of God's gracious revelation, God's gracious epiphany. And make no mistake, he almost always does that through his word. Okay? And when we cut ourselves off from his word, we have no opportunity to receive that epiphany, that revelation. So again, it demands a certain kind of response from us. It's the same response that we see in the shepherds, the magi, even the response that we see in Mary. A response that says, come and see what God is doing. Go and tell what God is doing. Wonder on these things. Ponder them. Store them up in your hearts. Bring the best gifts that you have to bear on the things that God has revealed to you. And take those praises and those truths back into your world so that they can bless other people. That's what God has called us to, and that is the way that he has called us to respond to revelation. And so what I want to do is right now, let's just go to the Lord in a time of prayer, okay? Um, and, and I want you to think about these things. And, man, what has, uh, again, I encourage you, get in the Word this year, okay? We say it every year, but get in the Word this year. Um, set a goal, set a time, set an appointed time that you're going to meet with the Lord through his Word every day, and then stick to it. Um, consistently meet God there. Um, I, Let's go to the Lord in prayer and just ask God to bless us through those things, right? Um, Ask God, one, to not only give us the the commitment to to be in his word, but I would ask him to do this because we all know that sometimes we go to the word and it just doesn't click, right? We we get to the end of that study time and we go, man, I just don't feel like anything has happened, right? Let's pray this also. Let's pray that God would make the time that we spend with him in the word, that he would make it sweet, 
right? That we would recognize the goodness of it and that through that we would be encouraged to, to continue in those things, okay? So let's go to, the Lord, uh, go to the Lord in prayer and then I'll close this in just a minute. Father God, I thank ye thee for your holy scriptures, their precepts, their promises, directions for the light that it shines into our lives. In them, may I learn more of Christ, be enabled to retain his truth, and to have grace flow from it. Help me to lift up the gates of my soul, that he may come in and show himself to me when I search his scriptures. For I have no lines to fathom its depths, and I have no wings to soar to its heights. By his aid may I be enabled to explore all its truths. Love them with all of my heart. Embrace them with all of my power and graft them into my life. Bless to my soul all grains of truth that I find in your word. May they take deep root, be refreshed by heavenly dew, be ripened by heavenly rays, be harvested to my joy and thy praise. Help me to gain profit by what I read as treasure beyond all treasure, a fountain which can replenish my dry heart, its waters flowing through me as a perennial river on drawn by the Holy Spirit himself. Enable me to distill from its pages faithful prayer that grasps the aim of your omnipotence, that achieves wonders and obtains blessings and draws down streams of mercy. From it, show me how my words have often been unfaithful to you, injurious to my fellow man, empty of grace, foolish, dishonoring to my calling. Then write your own word upon my heart and inscribe it upon my lips. So shall all glory be to thee, in my reading of your word. God, we ask these things in your holy and precious name. Amen.